Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone, on this episode of 30 with Murdy, a conversation with Kurt Flood Jr. Fifty years ago, his father, Kurt Flood, kick-started free agency in baseball. In December 1969, Flood was traded from St. Louis to Philadelphia, and after 12 years as a Cardinal, Flood objected to the idea that he had no control over where he chose to work within the sport. The Basic Agreements Reserve Clause held a player to his original team for as long as that team wanted the player. Flood's refusal to report to the Phillies and accept the terms of being traded, and the letter that he sent to Commissioner Bowie Kuhn essentially ended his career. The letter's most famous line, After 12 years in the major leagues, I do not feel that I am a piece of property to be bought and sold irrespective of my wishes. Flood's case went all the way to the Supreme Court in a losing cause. He was denied free agency, and after sitting out the 1970 season, the Phillies traded his rights to the Washington Senators. At 33 years old, after a losing fight, Flood was a broken man physically and emotionally. He played just 13 games for Washington in 1971 before abruptly quitting and fleeing to Europe, his career officially over. But within five years, Marvin Miller and the Players Union won the subsequent battles, and the players won their rights to free agency, and the sport would never be the same. Flood challenged the system at the beginning of the 1970s. By the end of that decade, Reggie Jackson signed with the Yankees, Pete Rose with the Phillies, Nolan Ryan with the Astros. The game's biggest stars were on the move for big dollars and finally had some measure of control over their careers. Today, free agency can be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and when Garrett Cole signed with the Yankees last December for nine years and $324 million, he publicly thanked Miller and Flood for their efforts 50 years ago. Miller was finally elected to the Hall of Fame by the Special Veterans Committee in December. Miller, the founding head of the Players Union, will be inducted into Cooperstown this summer, along with Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, and Ted Simmons. Meanwhile, Kurt Flood will be a candidate for the next committee ballot, the Golden Days ballot, next December. And Flood's family is leading a campaign to get him elected to the Hall of Fame for his trailblazing efforts. Flood finished a 15-year career in 1971, a fabulous center fielder on great Cardinals teams in the 60s. Flood won seven gold gloves, made three all-star teams, and was part of two World Series champions, 1964 and 1967. The 68 Cardinals lost a seven-game series to the Tigers. With respect to modern metrics, Flood compiled a 42 war, good for 302nd all-time, slightly below the career totals of notables like Daryl Strawberry, Dale Murphy, and Jorge Posada. And Flood's career 100 OPS plus means as an offensive player, he was league average. In his personal life, Flood endured a divorce and struggle with alcohol. And after fleeing from his last playing job in Washington, Flood lived in Europe for several years. In 15 years on the Hall of Fame ballot, Kurt Flood peaked at 15% in 1996. He died in 1997. His name has appeared on three Veterans Committee ballots since he passed away in 2003, 2005, and 2007. Voting ranged from 12 to 17%, again, well shy of the 75% tally needed for election to the hall. 
When the next Golden Days Committee meets next December, they will consider players whose greatest contributions came between 1950 and 1969. Flood's children have begun to campaign for his inclusion on this ballot and for his election on the ballot. Kurt Flood Jr. is the oldest of Flood's three biological children. He had two other adopted children. In January, I spoke to Kurt Jr. from his home in Los Angeles. Here is my conversation with Kurt Flood Jr. Kurt, first thing I want to ask you is, what do people say to you when they hear your name? Uh, well, you know, it depends upon uh, where in the country I am. But, you know, uh, in the Midwest, uh, uh, it really resonates with, with people. And, and um, you know, uh, up until 1940, St. Louis was the westernmost city for Major League Baseball. And uh, so they drew fans from... You know, from uh, four different states, five different states around Missouri, and and uh, you know, I travel in that part of the country, and it really resonates, and and uh, it stops people in in their tracks, and they and they and they want to you know uh, find out more about uh, uh, you know whether I'm I'm related and how I'm related, mm-hmm. and you know yeah. that that sort of thing. Uh, it was a little bit different when you were a teenager, wasn't it? Well, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, my dad moved us from St. Louis to Northern California in the early 60s. And um, uh, we subsequently moved uh, to L.A. uh, around 68, 69 uh, and lived in a neighborhood where, you know, um, uh, there were, you know, there there was a number of uh, Dodger players. Tommy Davis, Willie Davis, Jim Gilliam, hmm. uh, those folks were there. Um, Ray Charles, uh, Tina Turner. Wow. It was sort of the 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 the, uh, the go-to place for um, uh, the black affluent in Los Angeles uh, neighborhood called uh, Windsor Hills uh, View Park, Baldwin Hills, Ladera Heights, and um, you know. Uh, again, you know, had I grown up in in St. Louis, you know, it, yeah. it may have been different, but, uh, yeah. you know, my dad was, uh, you know, although he's well-known, he was a little low on the celebrity totem pole, yeah. you know, sure. in, in the neighborhood I grew up in. I want to ask you more about that in a little bit, but uh, obviously you and your family are behind this movement to get uh, your dad, Kurt Flood, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and there's a, another special committee ballot that comes up next December that he has a chance to be a part of. Um your dad was recognized and honored at the 2015 Hall of Fame awards awards ceremony on the Hall of Fame weekend. There, um, as part of their that special ceremony, were you or your family there and involved in any of that? No, um, I think my stepmother, my former stepmother uh, Judy Pace, may have been involved in it. Okay, uh, but uh, you know her involvement and our involved my involvement and my siblings involvement uh are two separate camps uh if you will mm-hmm. and you know no uh the his his kids you know were not involved in that the work up to it you know uh really wasn't even publicized so how and why did your family begin this campaign well um this is the 50th year the 50th anniversary of um of his uh you know historic letter uh, to uh, Bowie Kuhn, you know, outlining, you know, what he felt was 
you know, fair and reasonable in terms of being able, after, you know, 12 years of playing uh, at the major league level, that um, he should be able to have more say-so, you know, with uh, the trajectory of, of his career. And, you know, as you know, at that time, uh, that was an, an impossibility with the reserve clause, yeah. um, you know, that had been in place for, for decades and decades. Uh, and he just sort of felt that he was the, the, the one to bring, you know, to the table and, and, and try to diplomatically <laughs> come to an agreement, you know, and, and uh, he, he, you know, outlined uh, what he was interested in doing and notifying the rest of the, the uh, clubs that, of his availability. And, of course, um, you know, uh, he was denied uh, in a letter from Louis Tune a few days later and opted instead to uh, file a lawsuit uh, on January 16th of 1969. Uh, and that is the, again, the, the 50th anniversary of the filing of the lawsuit. And as you mentioned, the um, Golden Age Committee will meet uh, in early December at the winter meetings in, in, uh, in Dallas and, um, and vote. That's how Ted Simmons, former Cardinal, got elected this past year. And uh, we'll see what the committee turns up this time. Um, so it's, but this is this is something that's important to you now, more because of the 50th anniversary and and how much recognition that your father is getting uh, for the celebration of that right now. Well, you know, with um, with social media, his legacy, uh, I think, has has really uh, benefited and been boosted, as well as you know his story and our story. Um, but um, you know, it's been meaningful for for decades, you know, to to, to me and, and and my siblings. But but um, you know, this year again, um, uh, the Golden Age uh, Era Committee will meet in in uh, December, and they only meet once every five years now. Yeah. So you know, um, there is I, I don't see a better opportunity. Um, than this year, and 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 uh, with it coinciding with the 50th anniversary, uh, and with it, it coinciding with with uh, such a new level of awareness and with with great uh, insight and uh, support from people like uh, Garrett Cole, yeah, and uh, yeah. you know Martina Navratilova, and and Billie Jean King. I mean, you know, it it uh, it's an extraordinary feeling, and and uh, and one that I haven't felt, you know, uh, in any of the decades past, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, my dad's value and, and, uh, and, you know, with Billy Jean tweeting, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, it's just been incredible. What did, what did, you know, when you mentioned Garrett Cole, I was really taken aback at the press conference where he was introduced as a Yankee and he mentioned Marvin Miller and, and, and Kurt Flood and thanked both of them. I'll get to Marvin in a second, but just, he, I, I'm sure it was unexpected to you when you heard Garrett Cole, who just signed for $324 million to be a New York Yankee, and he steps up and one, among the first words he speaks in a Yankee uniform, he's thanking Kurt Flood. What did that mean to you? Uh, you know, it, it was absolutely uh, a, a special and, and um, um, you know, it's something that, that has never happened before you know and and uh I, I was blindsided but but um yeah you know again with with uh 
social media and this new awareness that, that uh, I mean, my dad is folklore in a lot of, most of the locker rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to actually hear it, you know, uh, from, from a guy who um, clearly has, has identified you know, his great fortune and, and uh, signing such an extraordinary contract and, and uh, the ability to move around the league. No, it, it felt, it felt uh, amazing. He clearly, you know, recognizes that he stands on the shoulders of, of uh, people that sacrificed a great deal and, and had uh, extraordinary imagination and vision long before Major League Baseball uh, did and the owners did and and uh, even the players, you know, uh, did. Uh, uh, there were many players uh, uh, who sided with uh, with ownership in terms of the reserve clause and and uh, so yeah. I mean, fast forward to to uh, to Garrett Cole. I had actually been in conversations with with uh, Scott Board uh, over the last couple of years. I'm connected with him on LinkedIn mm. and. Um, and uh, previously, uh, about three months ago, to, to Garrett Cole's uh, announcement, I had begun conversations with him as well about the possibility of supporting uh, Kurt Wood for, for uh, Cooperstown. And um, so the notion that, that one of his players uh, was right on top of it, uh, it, it seemed to me immediately that, that, uh, that Scott Boris had... had um, you know, probably had uh, a little bit of a hand in it, but but then later I learned that that uh, um, what's his name, John Buck, uh, had actually schooled uh, Garrett Cole and many other rookies. Uh, you know, coming up on you know the, the history of of free agency and from uh, signing lifetime contracts to being able to dictate the the course and trajectory of, of your career of their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would have them stand up and on the bus, you know, uh, and uh, give book reports uh, about <laughs> Kurt. Squad. So, um, yeah, so it, there was a combination of uh, of uh, elation and and uh, just uh, satisfaction that that uh, a player of that caliber uh, had had uh, thought enough to recognize, you know, those that had come before him, you know, and had fought uh, the good fight. I, I imagine then that uh, the election of Marvin Miller to the Hall of Fame meant a lot to you as well. Yeah, I, it, it was it was terrific. Um, Marvin, of course, is, was a early advocate uh, on behalf of my father, and and uh, uh, was a partner uh, for the most part in bringing uh, the lawsuit uh, uh, against Major League Baseball um, through. You know, as it winded its way through the lower courts and and onto the Supreme Court, and um, served as an advisor and and uh, friend and confidant. He, along with my dad, um, you know, sort of Jackie Robinson, I believe, are one of the most uh, instrumental and and um, important figures in at least the way that that uh, sports business is, is done over the past 50 years. And I know the history of, of uh, Marvin uh, not wanting uh, to be considered any longer, yeah. you know, for the Hall of Fame. Uh, but, um, you know, it was just a, a great feeling that um, that he, he has finally been recognized. You know, this, this may be uh, a little snide, but, you know, uh, guys like Jerry Reinsdorf had to sit through 
You know, for people who aren't aware, and and I, you know, just doing research, I I was not fully aware. the The relationship between you and your father, and your your siblings and your father, it wasn't quite storybook because you know your your mom and dad divorced when you were quite young. What kind of a relationship did you have with your dad in those years when he was, you know, when he was playing, and as he was leading up to this fight, and then in the years after that? You know, uh, my parents married um, when they were. You know, 18 and 19 years old. My dad, respectively, my dad was 19. My my mom was uh, 18 or so, and uh, my mom had uh, uh, had actually um, had two children from a previous marriage, mm-hmm. and um, so my dad had, you know, he had he had adopted my older brother and sister. I was the first, uh, hence uh, junior uh, in 1960. My sister Shelley came along in 61. And my little brother came along in 65. Um, so when I came along, my dad had, you know, had been in the league pretty much uh, for about, you know, four or five years uh, and was a veteran. Um, and my earliest memories, uh, you know, go back to Sportsman's Park, uh, being four or five years old. And, and uh, you know, the, the three years, you know, or four years after that uh, were absolutely special. You know, um, we, we'd, uh, my brother and I would go to spring training. Um, my dad was, uh, you know, he was a quiet, loving, um, uh, interpersonal, uh, funny, uh, clever human being. And, and, uh, it was a feeling of being cocooned and, and, and something really very special. Little did I know that, that, uh, of course I couldn't have known at that age, but, uh, you know, uh, to be a ball player back then, just as it is today, the the lifestyle, uh, if you're not prepared for it, you know, if, if you're not uh, mature and, and uh, focused, then the lifestyle can can consume you. Yeah. And at least back then, you know, uh, guys drank heavy. They they um, you know they they socialized in the in the bars and clubs and. Uh, heavily and and uh, uh, my dad, uh, you know, did it for for all it was worth, you know, and and um, but it didn't necessarily bode well with with marriage life, you know, yeah. and and uh, quite sure that there was infidelity that that my mom had had uh, refused to absolutely uh, uh, deal, to, you know, to to accept and and uh, deal with uh, and that. You know, essentially uh, took a toll uh, over the over the period of uh, uh, between sixty four and and um, you know sixty eight or so. Mm-hmm. So, and it probably happened a lot earlier than that. But um, you know, to, to a kid, you don't you don't you don't get it. Sure. You know, um, the time that that it became apparent that, that you know that something was wrong was when. Uh, they decided to split up around 66 or 67. Mind you, I'm six or seven years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, his playing days, you know, my, my, my awareness of understanding of who and what he was and, and, uh, you know, going to the ballparks and hanging out in locker rooms, you know, with, and going to spring training, you know, all of that was a, a real snapshot, uh, to me as, as a kid. 
uh, looking back. And, and um, you know, although it was a very cool one at the time, uh, it was really a very short period, mm-hmm. you know, in, in uh, my family's life. You know, he went from um, being uh, Gussie Bush's, you know, uh, fair-haired kid to, you know, a, a very acrimonious uh, relationship after the 68 World Series. And, um, you know, largely in part uh, due to, I, I believe, Game 7 and Jim Northrop's uh, line drive, you know, to center that, that uh, he misjudged. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, he accepted full responsibility. But, um, you know, the, the fans and the organization really never let him forget it. Wow. And, I mean, I hear it today. You know, after that, it was it was uh, pretty much downhill for him uh, as, as a St. Louis Cardinal was concerned. Really, that that period was was uh, uh, when I be, when my family really began to see less and less, and less of him, and and um, where the break really happened. When uh, and and funny because he's actually part of two World Series champions. That you say people bring up the the misplay in '68. That uh, that ends up winning Game Seven for the Tigers. He still has two World Series rings. You've got one of those, and the way I was reading it, it you know it was given to you when you were what a uh, teenager still, uh, maybe not even, and it was kind of unceremonious and almost out of guilt for not having been there and and for the things that were going on uh, in your life when when you were young. Do you uh, what do you recall about that uh, about getting your the World Series ring from your father? Well. You know, um, my dad came back to the States pretty much a, a broken man, you know, completely rudderless. Uh, uh, his health had, had diminished. You know, he was really starting from, from ground zero with uh, respect to, again, his health and, and uh, not only his physical health, but his mental health. And this thing broke my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, um, it absolutely eviscerated him uh, uh, in a way that... Um, it's hard to, to, to describe, you know, uh, major league baseball was, was the only business, uh, my dad knew, you know, being a ball player was the only, the only profession that he had, you know, those that supported him and, and, um, um, over the years, the, 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 um, the alienation that happened and, and those that had previously supported him had essentially made him an outcast. It's almost like losing your family. Yeah. So, you know, it really, it really took a toll on him. And, and, uh, when he came back to, to, uh, to the States in around 1977 or so, it was a slow process in, in, in regaining his, his, uh, physical and mental health. But, uh, it was a couple of years after he had gotten back and, and, uh, he had taken my younger brother, Scott and I bowling Hmm. and, um, here in LA and, uh, we were bowling and, and, uh, sitting there having a beer and, and, um, he, he simply took it off his, off his hand and, and handed it to me. And he said, you know, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a measure of guilt, uh, but also he felt that, that, um, he'd always felt that, that, uh, uh, gifts would, would, uh, would mend our relationship. Uh, but this was different, you know, um, there was no pop of circumstance or, or, you know, really unceremonious, yeah. but, um, you know, the ring 
actually didn't even fit. You know, I, I had to <laughs> wrap, tape, wrap tape on the inside for it to fit. Uh, but, um, you know, that was, uh, I guess, 1977 or so, 17 or so, and, and uh, I've had it ever since. Your, your father ended up passing away in 1997, uh, and he had some time on the, the Hall of Fame ballot and never really gained serious traction there. And obviously that's why one of the reasons why you and your family are, are still campaigning here. But what do you recall about, you know, the, the last few years you were able to spend with your father, you know, not only just you and your family's relationship, but, but maybe his relationship with the game and how he felt about it. He was a tough read because, um, you know, he, he wasn't, um, very, um, forthcoming in, in, uh, his feelings. I mean, he, 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 um, he tended to, shoulder things on his own and and uh i think as he is as he had always done as the youngest family member and and uh being the the rent of the family uh and coming up through um you know the segregated south uh, when he was uh uh in the minor leagues and he did all of that on his own you know and even up and through the time he was he was um picked up by the the cardinals and through like 63 60 early 64 and you know, having Solly Hemis who was who was a you know a, a registered racist <laughs> um, as his manager he, he really had to do things on his own you know and he, he really he really matured you know on on uh, his own his own spirit and, and, and merits and and um, fast forward to, to um, healing himself and, and getting back uh, you know to, to uh, a level of health and and uh, uh, emotional and 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 uh, physical and psychological health. He, he did a lot of that on his own. There was a period of ten years, you know, essentially when when um, when his health had, had had regained and he got to a place in his life where where um, uh, those things were were behind him and and uh, you know he started uh, you know working with with uh, with kids in 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 uh, the Bay Area and Oakland and named after him and you know he, he began uh, playing in these old timers games and Randy Humley sports fantasy camp sure. and you know being invited uh, back into the to the uh, family of baseball um, not not completely but um, you know enough that that um, that hole you know that had emptied when he essentially was, was uh, an outcast it, it began to fill back up you know, and, and, uh, I was able to, to attend some of those games and, and, um, you know, be a part of his life and he a part of mine for a solid decade. Uh, and it was nice, you know, and, and, you know, he died at 59, you know, and, and, uh, I was, I was, uh, 37. That's just too, that's just too early, yeah. you know, um, we should be together right now, you know, and, and, uh, uh, reminiscing and, and, uh, enjoying life and, but you know, um, life, life <laughs> had other, had other plans. You know, it usually does. He was able to see a measure of my success. I got my start at, uh, in communications, uh, at 20th Century Fox and here in LA. Uh, this was before Fox Sports, before Fox Cable, before the internet, in mm-hmm. fact. And, and, um, uh, my boss was, uh, a guy called Dennis Petrovsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, uh, coincidentally, was Dale Petrovsky's uh, brother, oh. uh, the former president of Cuba 
Sure. <laughs> you know, he taught me that he, he was he was Rupert Murdoch's right hand guy to the media and uh, had worked under Barry Dillard prior to that. But he taught me the business of of uh, writing effectively and and cultivating, nurturing, uh, developing relationships with people like yourself and and. Um, uh, you know, it was a great gig, and and my dad uh, uh, would come to the lot and and have lunch with me uh, in the in the uh, the commissary, and you know uh, he was able to see that that, um, that that things had generally worked out okay for at least me, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, and um, each of my siblings had a different relationship with with my dad, and we, we each had to explore ways to. To mend that that fence that that uh, you know had had been torn down uh, as a result of the case that you know that, that essentially destroyed his life and in our life. You you carry his name personally, but you and your family also run the Kurt Flood Foundation. What does the Kurt Flood Foundation stand for and do? Well, the mission is um, that we. Uh, partner with like-minded and like-spirited uh, uh, organizations uh, on behalf of ethnic minority uh, girls and young women, and um, in the areas of health and wellness and fitness, you know, social relationships. The mission was was uh, was uh, revitalized and refreshed last January with uh, a new partnership with uh, Baseball for All, uh, which is the uh, girls' baseball tournament uh, organization uh, founded by Dr. Justine Siegel. Uh, and if you don't know Dr. Siegel's story, she was uh, or is uh, the first woman to coach at the major league level you know, uh, she's thrown batting practice to five or six clubs, and and uh, you know she started this organization uh, because as a kid she had termed out. I mean, she played little baseball and uh, pony league, and when she got to high school, there were a few options to continue playing. So fast forward to ten years ago, she started this organization, Baseball for All, which puts on uh, tournaments eight tournaments around the country uh, for girls, solely for girls. It, it provides girls and young women an opportunity to continue playing this sport, actually from, from age 7 through 17, so there's no break. There are 100,000 girls play, playing baseball at the T-ball, Little League, uh, Pony League level uh, at any one time you know, uh, in the United States. When that 100,000 number hits high school, that drops down to a thousand girls. Wow! You know, continuing to play baseball beyond that, she is it's absolutely her organization is somebody that that uh, 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 fits within our mission. Uh, you know, we're we're raising money uh, to help her continue to to do this uh, incredible uh, uh, job of of. Uh, you know, uh, of enabling girls to not have to to give up on their on their uh, passion and dreams. We're we're looking at working with uh, Steph Curry's organization, uh, Live Eat Play, and uh, you know, just just to uh, again to align ourselves with organ- like-minded organizations that provide 
uh, opportunities for, for young women and uh, girls to, you know, maximize, maximize opportunities that, that generally, uh, you know, are, are not available to them. Uh, you're obviously doing a lot to keep that name alive, and it sounds like a lot of good work. Um, as this year goes on and your campaign rolls on to try to get your dad elected to the Hall of Fame in December, if that doesn't happen, are you satisfied with what your dad's legacy has become and over the, over these last 50 years, gone from a guy who, as you said, was a broken man because he was run out of the game to somebody who is celebrated at, on the grandest scales here and whose legacy is known throughout baseball, uh, even if it doesn't end with a plaque on the wall in Cooperstown? Are you satisfied with where your father's legacy is in the game? Um, actually, I'm not satisfied, um, and I, I doubt that I will ever be satisfied because the, le- the legacy um, doesn't end with with him uh, being uh, enshrined or not being enshrined. Uh, his legacy will continue through uh, the Kurt Flood Foundation and uh, being of service to uh, young people in the community, and um, with his name attached, absolutely. Um, uh, because that's that's who he was, and, and that's what he was about, you know, and and uh, that's what he would want today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, whether he's inducted, you know, next December um, or or not, uh, we will continue doing uh, what we're doing, and and uh, continue raising visibility and awareness about who he is uh, with with young players and and. Uh, Actually, with with all players, with the labor unions, with their agents, uh, you know, uh, with the fans, with journalists, with young journalists, uh, to keep it to keep it alive. And and um, even if he is uh, elected to Cooperstown, uh, our main goal will be that um, you know he's not forgotten. To be clear, Kurt Flood is represented at the Hall of Fame in a number of ways. The whole new ballgame exhibit includes a copy of his historic letter to Commissioner Bowie Kuhn. Flood's autobiography, The Way It Is, is also on display. And during the 2015 Hall of Fame induction weekend, Flood was honored during the Saturday Awards presentation. The next day, the Hall of Fame inducted Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, John Smoltz, and Craig Biggio who combined to earn $538 million in their careers, Flood in 15 Major League seasons earned an estimated total of 472000 All these figures are as found on BaseballReference.com. But Kurt Flood's plaque in the Hall of Fame is another matter altogether. With less than 20% support in each of his 18 previous ballots, it's hard to think he will be elevated to 75% this year. But it is absolutely worth talking about his legacy for the generation of players that might know his name, but not know exactly why they should know his name. Among the other names in consideration for this ballot in December will be Gil Hodges, a Brooklyn Dodger hero and the manager of the 1969 Mets. A big thank you to the Society for American Baseball Research. The folks at Sabre have some terrific player bios that are linked via baseball reference. My thanks to both of those sites and to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, for providing some background and research material. You can read Kurt Flood's bio at saber.org, and you can check out the mission of the Families Foundation at kurtfloodfoundation.org. My thanks to Kurt Flood Jr. for his time on the subject. If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, review, and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.